and welcome to the very, very first edition of a brand new podcast, Geeking with Destination Venus. You may be wondering why you're listening to this. Well, if you are, it's probably because either you follow Destination Venus, Harrogate's independent comic store, on some flavour of social media, or you used to be a listener to the Geeks at the Gates, the precursor podcast to this fine show. Um, I explained a couple of weeks ago in the Omega edition of the Geeks at the Gates why I was putting that particular show to bed. Uh, it may come back. There may be a time when I can get a bunch of my geeky mates around a table in a in a comic shop somewhere, possibly mine, uh, just talking nonsense about all manner of geeky stuff. But for now, logistically, it just is not going to work. So, here we are, geeking with Destination Venus. And have we got a show for you tonight? Well, clearly we have, because you're listening to it. Um, you may have noticed, if you're a regular Geeks at the Gates listener, you may have noticed that I haven't changed the opening sting. Um, none of the other jingles and stuff will be changing yet. I am in some negotiations about music. Uh, so hopefully something original to this show will be happening soon. Um, we've got an interview for you this evening to start things off with. Uh, the first half, in fact, of um, my conversation with the co-creator of Witchblood, Matthew Ehrman. Uh, he's a hugely enthusiastic guy, as you will hear. Um, and uh, I can't recommend Witchblood highly enough. It is a fantastic book, but more about that in a second. Um, so, yeah. Actually... Why are you listening to me rabble on? Shall we just get into it? I think we shall. Um, did you figure out your recording situation? Okay, yeah, no, I think we're rolling. So. Oh, we'll... great, wonderful. Actually, as I say, I think we're rolling. What I'll do is I'll just chuck my backup recorder on as well, just to be sure, because I am deeply paranoid. Okay, that should be fine. Okay, so welcome, 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 welcome to the podcast. Uh, it's um, really, really nice to have you on. We are Dude, rolling. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I, I very much appreciate it. I I like talking to people. I like meeting new people. I'm, I'm very glad to meet you. And um, yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this. This is no, really cool. It's great. It's great. I, 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 it's a real privilege to me to um, actually be able to meet people in the industry. I'm, I'm, I'm just a retailer. and uh, I mean, you're the literal... And I'm not even being hyperbolic here. The literal lifeblood of the entire comics industry. So I'm actually very, very honored to be meeting you. So thank you for um, keeping this business. I don't know about that, but I'll take it. <laughs> um, okay, so I guess I guess the I want to start if we can with which blood. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because um, you know I'm I'm one issue in, mm -hmm. and I'm absolutely loving it. It's, Thank you so much. It's I, I can't remember exactly. I I do sort of little mini reviews on Twitter and Facebook, and I can't remember exactly yeah. what I said about Witch Blood because it's really hard, particularly on Twitter. It's really hard to keep it that short. But I, th I think I said something along the lines of it's got a very Buffy the Vampire Slayer vibe. Yeah. But this is what Buffy wanted to be, but 
didn't quite manage. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think, um, I mean, I, uh, I very much appreciate that. I am a fan of Buffy in, in theory, in lots of theories. I'm a fan of Buffy. There's some aspects of Buffy that I'm not a huge fan of. It's problematic uh, these days, I think. <laughs> I um, mean, I don't know if Buffy, her, the, the, the show itself is problematic, but I think within the context of the creation of it and in retrospect, the creator of Buffy, things mm. get colored in a very interesting way and, and you start to see through the veil a little bit. But with that said, I think for a lot of people, I, I didn't watch it growing up. My, my wife did. Um, the creator, the co-creator of the book, Lisa. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where it, it was influential to her and there's, there's nothing that can take that away. And that's an important thing. But yeah, seeing it in retrospect and having those things colored makes it a little different but uh but yeah absolutely it's it's, it's Buffy inspired I, I think among other things there's lots of other things that have inspired it but I think the idea of a a character that you know for very obvious reasons and very front of the mind stuff it's like it's a it's a woman fighting vampires and I think that's very uh you know that's very Buffy yeah it's got a, a little bit more of a road movie kind of feel to it as well though i mean as i said we're only one issue in so i don't know exactly where the mm. story's going but i you're, get no you're absolutely right it, it it's very much a road it's a it's a road trip it's it's uh -huh. a, it's a it's a long drive from point a to point b to point c sort of thing and is is that inspired by any any actual real places or any trips that you've taken or is it just an america that you're coming out of your head yeah no you're uh you're actually um you're actually right on all counts. I, um, me and my wife, we, we, we love road trips. Uh, well, and one of the things that's great about the United States is that, and maybe on the, on the flip side, not so great, is that it is absolutely enormous. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, from one end to the other, it's something like 3,500 miles, 4,000 miles. That's a long and way. So, and, and, if you, and if you're driving that straight, that's I think three, about three and a half days straight driving. Mm -hmm. So there's just a lot in this country. There's so much. And uh, one of the places that Lisa and I have always been fascinated with is the American Southwest. It's so, so different than other places. You know, we're from Columbus, Ohio, which is very much heartland, Midwest, mm -hmm. you know, farms, green, pretty flat for the most part. And, and it's just, you know, it's like this for 2000 miles in a, in a circumference around us. So when you think about this, you know, we were in the same country as this place where there's a desert and there's mountains and there's this gorgeous history. There's, there's all of this indigenous uh, history. There's, there's so much in this one place in this country. And um, for many reasons, you know, it, you can look at the American Southwest through so many lenses, you know, Mm -hmm. You can look at it through a political lens. You can look at it through a socioeconomic lens. You can look at it just through the landscape of, of what it is. And um, I don't know, all of that was super fascinating. And we wanted to make a story that's about the American Southwest. But at the same time, you know, I also like to make shit up and <laughs> I want it to be kind of cool and fun. And so we kind of invented our own supernatural American Southwest. And there's a lot of... Uh, I'm really excited. There's a lot of cool stuff that we reveal about this place in the in the coming issues. I think you get a really big, I think the first, honestly, the first four issues are like, you know, there's the story and then there's also the setting up of the setting sort of deal. Uh -huh. 
And uh, we, we're trying to reveal all sorts of stuff in, in each issue. So I think you learn something cool about the, about the actual place every single issue uh, forward, which I, which I really wanted to do. It's, it's, it's just like another one of the characters. And Lisa and Gab, they do such an incredible job illustrating and coloring the American Southwest. And it's just so gorgeous. And mm-hmm. as a writer, you want to write something that your artist and your colorists want to draw and know that they're going to enjoy drawing. And it's, it's just one of those things where once you see them do it, you're like, I got to write more of this. I got to keep giving them these, these scenes to draw because they're so gorgeous. I mean, in the first issue, there's like that, there's that opening splash page with Yona on the bike. And I'm just like, this sells the whole, I feel like that sold, sold the whole thing for a lot of people. I think, so, I think that's the first image that I saw um, probably on Twitter, I think. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you had me at that image. It was, there's something about just the look of it, um, the style of the art. Um, it's quite a quite a vibrant color palette as well. Yeah, um, which I always enjoy. I, I'm I'm a child of the '80s, and so when I started reading comics, it was you know Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns, and all of these dark, muted sort of brown and gray. Yeah, I mean even the. Absolutely. Even the first Batman movie, which was what, 87, 88, even that was like, that's Tim Burtony. So yeah, it's, it's dark and Gothic and Mm -hmm. there's like, the colors are very muted and yeah, no. And um, as as an old bloke now, I'm, I'm really appreciating that artists are getting back to remembering that there are bright colors. Oh yeah. And you can tell a dark story with them. And, uh, yeah, no, uh, things like Witchblood that that has that sort of horror vibe. Yeah, but doesn't doesn't feel the need to be dark all the time. It's like you know where the light switch is. And, yeah, no, no, and I, I love that. I love that look. Thank you. That's you know that's very intentional. We um, are the last comic that Lisa and I did, Long Lost, was literally very dark. Uh, it was mostly in black and white, very few pops of colors, and for this. We really wanted to do something, you know, like I, I think there's a couple routes you can go when you're like making your second thing with a creator. And when, when I look at what I've made with my wife, I, I very much consider like Witch Blood like our second thing. Um, and we've both had work before and after, like kind of in between working together. Mm-hmm. But for us, this is like, oh, we get to do another thing after Long Lost. And that's cool. And one of the things that we really wanted to do was you know, we didn't want to, we didn't want to pigeonhole ourselves into being the creepy, we only make creepy comics, or we only do this sort of style. And for Wishblood, we thought that that was like our opportunity to show, you know, to publishers and to readers that you can, in a way, trust us to be exciting. I think that's really Mm -hmm. what it is. It's like, we have, we're, like everybody, we're multifaceted people. We have a very wide, broad range of interests from, you know, Sailor Moon to Junji Ito or to uh, Jojo's Bizarre Adventure to, uh, you know, cowboy movies, mm-hmm. spaghetti westerns, whatever it is. We wanted to encapsulate all of the kind of the colorful, the, the spectrum of influences that we've had in the past, honestly, like four or five years, just in between creating Long Lost and this. And uh, we, we knew that, you know, if we we're going to make something that was fully 
about the things that have influenced us and the things that we love about stories and storytelling, that it has to be colorful. It has to be really explosively colorful because that's what, at least to me, that's what the influences feel like to me. It's like, you know, when I think about, um, there's, a, there's a wonderful movie, there's a very obvious reference to it in the comic. It's called Near Dark. Um, mm -hmm. And the main, one of the main characters is played by Bill Paxton and he's a vampire. And so we were, we were like, we can't, and, and also the style of that movie, it, it, share, it shares a lot of things with our comic as well. That, that movie came out in the 80s and we just, we love it. And it's like, we want to wear that inspiration on our sleeve. You know, we wanted to honor the, the creator, Catherine Bigelow, who created this world before, you know, American Southwest vampires. Uh, they're not exactly a biker gang in that movie, but it's not far off. Mm -hmm. um, and we just, you know, we love that movie so much. It's a big influence on, on Witchblood. We didn't want to hide it. And so that's why we named the main vampire Paxton. And, and then that's why- I, I wonder know, if that was a reference. I did. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of things, a lot of things in this comic book are just straight references to things that we love or like. There's references to Kate Bush, the Hounds of Love. There's, uh, there's references, to all of Yona's, uh, Potion bottles are, are song names, or, or we try to find song names that can, that can represent what, what's in the potion bottle. And so, you know, and even going to Lisa's art, I think, you know, she has a collection of Sailor Moon manga that she, she keeps on her desk just to flip through for inspiration when she's looking for a, a new kind of panel or a new kind of expression just to, mm -hmm. just to figure it out. And, and yeah, all those things are colorful. And I, I, I don't think you can make a book like this that wants to be fun, that wants to also be serious, and that also wants to be dark and colorful without literally, you know, taking full advantage of the broad range of colors that are in a place like the American Southwest. I, I, I don't know if you've ever been, but one of the things that's so, so wonderful is, and I hope we get to include it a little bit more in the later issues, but... The, the actual uh, design of the buildings in the American Southwest, so interesting. There's, it's so colorful. And um, it, it's basically because of all the indigenous and the, the, the Mexican influences in that part of the world. And mm -hmm. when you look at the, uh, the, the, the influences of, of those cultures on, on what has been built in that part of the world, it, it instantly becomes more colorful and more lively there's more culture there's more there's more there's more stories and when you look at it from a place like uh columbus ohio too where it's just like uh you know it's gray cookie cutter you know buildings mm -hmm. for literal miles. i mean i love columbus but there's not a lot of history here and if there is it's it's uh it's been very well hidden from from the development of the western world so uh but yeah, thank you that the, the, the comic's very colorful. I got off topic, thank you. Yes, I, um, regular listen, listeners to this show will will not mind digressions. It's kind of what we're all about. Excellent, because that's um, basically my brand, so. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 to answer your question, I've never been to, the, to America, let alone the American Southwest, but I, I sort of know it visually from film. Yeah, um, you know, I think I've there's seen... one film, you know, if, if there's one film that I would recommend to get the the not the full but a, a touch of that beautiful that beautiful vibe is um Wim Wenders Paris Texas. I don't know if you've seen it. I have. 
Yeah, it's I mean, it's an absolutely stunning film and 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 the soundtrack to to the cinematography to the the story um for the for the listeners who don't know it's it's kind of like a neo noir southern haunted but not ghosts it's just like personally haunting story about this guy uh who's played by Harry Dean Stanton and uh it's 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 a beautiful film I, I recommend it to anybody it, it floored me the first time I saw it and that's one of those other things that was an obvious you know thing where we had seen this film about the American Southwest and we're like we got to create something about this it's so beautiful it's so beautiful to think about um but that that but anyway that's the film I would recommend to anybody who wants to to get a to get a taste also Easy Rider is another uh, very great film as well yeah and that Easy, Easy Rider in, introduced me to the road movie yeah that was, that was we, we actually hadn't seen it so we were pitching Witch Blood and uh, one of the people that we had pitched it to had mentioned uh, Easy Rider as a, as a very obvious reference and, and asked us, you know, had we seen it? We hadn't. And then we sat down and we watched it and we retooled the entire pitch after we saw Easy Rider. I was like, okay, we got to work in more of this stuff because this is really cool. And that's where, I mean, a lot of the design inspiration for Paxson came from uh, uh, Dennis Hopper's uh, role in that movie. So mm-hmm. um, we, yeah, we like to pull and we like to take all sorts of stuff. Some people would call it stealing. I call it being very, very liberally inspired by. I think that's a good way of putting it, to be honest. I, I think it's a legal, legally safe way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that too. But <laughs> I think actually, as I think it's important to have influences and to acknowledge those influences. I, Oh yeah, I think it's it's far less like stealing if you're clear. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I completely agree with you. I think the one thing that as an artist, I mean, you'll get all sorts of writers and artists that want to say, you know, I'm a unique individual with a very singular worldview, and I and you know, without sounding too cocky, I do believe that about myself. But at the same time. I, I, would be, I would be foolish not to say like everything that I do has been influenced by, you know, dozens and dozens of different people from all over the place, from artists to people I meet on the street to, to whoever it is. Like that's a life is a story that you kind of construct and tell yourself, you know, these are the important bits. And so the important bits for me, you know, those are my inspirations. I, I wouldn't be who I was without seeing certain things or experiencing certain things and and to deny the acknowledgement that those things had an influence on you and the things that you make is do i think i think that does a real disservice to your art and and to who you are as a creator so i uh, yeah i'm very open with the things that i like I, I love to work them into the things that i make i think the creators that we you know that we aspire that we aspire to be or that are inspiring to us they do the same thing um I think that, uh, you know, the most obvious example is, is Quentin Tarantino, love him or hate him. He's very obviously yes. likes to put his influences on his sleeve. Um, and, and, I, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think it's actually really fun. It's, it's, it's kind of like, um, you're kind of having a meta dialogue with the reader. Yeah, uh, no, sorry, I, I was just about to say basically that. I, I, as a reader, um, I really like it. Particularly if it's done well, if you don't yeah. get the references, it doesn't matter. 
Um, but if you do, it's just that that little frisson of uh, yeah. Doing. And I love that. You know, I, I I I think the only thing I picked up in Witchblood so far is Paxton, because um, I wondered if, uh, if I I actually had the thought. Is this guy is this guy a fan of Near Dark? I um, definitely am. It's one of my favorite movies. And and I liked that. You know, that was a because I'm. I'm not a writer. I, I write, but I'm not a writer. I would, uh, I would call you a writer. Don't worry. I, <laughs> I, I, I do not ascribe to the idea that you have to be paid to be a writer, but you're a writer. No, well, so, but when I say I'm not a writer, I, I, like, I would love to write stories, mm-hmm. but I lack the discipline. I do write, I write reviews and articles and stuff like right, that. Right. I like the discipline for that. Now that's a... <laughs> uh, but what I, as a, as, as a non as a person who doesn't write fiction or doesn't write it often, I like to be able to kind of connect with the mind of the people who are writing the things I enjoy by kind of realizing, oh, we like the same thing. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a- I think that's, that's one of the most beautiful things about getting to make art or make whatever you want. It's, it's that, you know, you're absolutely right. Those little references and those little moments in the comic, they're, they're as much for me as they are for the person that gets those references, you know? And um, I think that's the really fun thing about getting to create something is, is putting those things in this story, knowing that like, there are people out there like me, like, like, like you and I that have loved Near Dark. We, we, we probably don't know enough people in our lives that appreciate this film. And, and whatever else it is, whether it's, you know, a Kate Bush album or, uh, you know, MC5 or whatever, a band, mm-hmm. it's, it's whoever those people are out there that pick up Witchblood and see like, oh, The Hounds of Love, that's my favorite Kate Bush album from the 1980s. Is this a reference to that? And it is very, it's, I, I, try, I try to make sure that that question doesn't necessarily need to be asked because I, I, mm. I want you to know it is a reference to that. And, 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 and it's fun because what it does is it takes your context of that thing that you like, you know, whether it's a, an album that you like or near dark, and it kind of helps you recontextualize it with this story. Like, oh, Bill Paxton, that's a reference to near dark. That movie is also about vampires. This character named after the actor who played a vampire. So there's some, either there's some connection there or there's some interesting, like, there's very obvious inspiration and then and then it's nice It's nice to honestly co-opt that thought. So now, hopefully, me, it's me being sneaky. When you think of Near Dark, I want you to also now think of Witchblood. That's, that's my ultimate goal is that I, I, I take that, uh, that, um, <laughs> that uh, <laughs> real estate, your brain real estate, I, I kind of sneak in there and I take a little bit of it. Yeah, for what it's worth, I think that might have worked. Hell yeah. <laughs> Ah, so yeah, so Witchblood literally just starting. Um, mm-hmm. Do you do you have like a definite end point that you're heading to, or is is this something that that sales figures allowing in the market that we're in? Um, is this something that you could envisage as just an ongoing series that just you'll still be writing about Yona in ten years time? Yeah, no. So truthfully, we have ten issues mm-hmm. with Vault right now. Um, with the potential, you know, obviously based on sales, to go to an ongoing. And I think that's really exciting. It's not an ongoing yet. We've just got the 10 issues. 
and I hope it continues to do well. The first issue did really well for us. And I, I hope the readership doesn't drop off too much. I know there's always the, you know, it always does just because of the way comic books work, but I'm hoping that the interest stays up and we get a really solid reader base that want to continue with the story after 10 issues. Um, we've got a definite story that we're telling with the 10 issues. Mm -hmm. We're leaving obviously questions open and, and some things that we want to play with later on if, if we get to that point. But we're, we're as, as, a, as a storytelling team between Lisa and I, we're very cognizant that, you know, not everything works out the way you want them to. So we want to make sure that with the 10 issues that we have, we tell the most engaging, the best story that we can. And that if there is an opportunity to continue on and tell more, we have that available to us. Um, I would never want to, so for Long Lost, we, we had this question a couple times, mm -hmm. whether there was going to be more after the, the 12 issues. And for Long Lost, the, the, the question was always no. I never wanted to write anything after 12 issues. But for this, I, I, it, it's a world that I love. It's a world, it's a, the characters I love. And so, you know, if Vault came to me tomorrow and said, hey, let's relook at this. Let's just make it an ongoing so we can plan for that. I, I'd, be, I'd be over the moon because it's something that I just, it's a, it's a world that I love being in. And the characters are so fun to write. And I mean, it's wild that oh, most people have only read the first issue and I'm currently writing the seventh. So uh, there's so much that happens in this story and it's, it goes to places that I don't think many people would expect a vampire witch Western to go. And I think that's really exciting to me. It really, it really, one of the things that I've really tried to do is think about genre and how you can break it and how you can make it no longer a thing. Because on a meta writing thing, you know, Genre, when you enter into a, a horror story or a fantasy story or an adventure story, you've got these tropes that a reader is going to know that you're going to hit. And so one of my big things that I want to do or that I've been trying to do with Witchblood is take those expectations and really mess with them in a way that you no longer are fully aware of what kind of thing you're reading, mm -hmm. um, if that makes sense. And so... I were, you know, Adrian really understood when I pitched Vault this story that it is not a Western and that it is not a supernatural story. And I think the most exciting thing was when Adrian understood what kind of story it actually was and what kind of story we are building it to be. Mm -hmm. And then, and then that's the, I think to me, that's one of the real surprises of the book is when you get revealed as to like, oh, this is actually this kind of story, not a, it's, it's a road trip Western that's, that's, you know, that's being masqueraded as mm -hmm. something else. And I'm excited for people to get to that point because it's really exciting. I think, I think you really, I think it really hits around issue four. So you don't have too long to wait, but I think issue four is when you're like, oh, this is different than what I thought it was. And that's, I'm hoping everyone thinks it's cool as hell. Oh, see, I'm, I'm very impatient now. <laughs> well, I mean, I have the ARC, uh, the advanced reader copy for issue two that I'll send you, obviously. Oh, I would love that. Absolutely. I'll send that to you right away. And then I think issue three should be coming relatively soon, um, which is really exciting. I, 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 love, I love sending people like yourself just an early look because, again, y'all are literally the heart blood of the industry. And without your support, people will not look at my books. So I have to, 
I have to, I have to, you know, uh, please the, please the king, I suppose. Yeah, well, you, you do that by writing the stuff you write, to be honest. And I can tell you that if at some point I'm ever allowed to reopen my shop, we're still closed. Um, I'm so uh, sorry. Uh, see, I, do you, do you guys not like, yeah. But, but no, no one's coming into my shop without having witch blood put in front of them because oh. there, there are not, so this is turning into a mutual appreciation society, but I really do. Uh, mean, hey, I'm into it. <laughs> <laughs> I really do mean this. That there are not that many titles that I pick up a first issue and I'm immediately, okay, not only am I on board for, for this as long as it runs, but everybody else needs to be reading this. This is, you know, this is, this is the one that when everybody says, what's new this week, are there any recommendations? I'm going straight to, for pretty much everyone. Because, you know, there, there are always books where you go, oh, I know customer X will love this, and customer Y will love that. But there are very few where you go, do you know what, pretty much everybody's gonna love this. Because- That's a really, that's really kind to say. But I think it's I think it's because, as you were saying, it's not a particular genre. I really tried hard not to make it. I, I yeah, I, I I tried to use as much as I wanted from certain ones, but I, I really tried to make it so that it, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't feel like a Western. It doesn't read mm -hmm. like a Western. It but, uses a lot of Western tropes, was, but it doesn't feel like one. It's it's a book that you know I can put it in. You know, there are fans of westerns, um, and I can put this in front of them and they'll see a Western. I can put it in front of fans of horror and they'll see a horror story. I can put it in fans of, yep. of t action teen movies and they'll see Buffy and, yeah. you know, and so on and so on and so on. And from my point of view, I love books like that, partly because I really like them, but also because they make my life easy. You know, <laughs> I'm I, glad to hear that. It's, I, I love things that are not a hard sell. They make me feel like a good salesperson. Um, and as I say, there are not many books that do that. I think. I mean, I, the, the most obvious comparison and, and the one that's most obvious to top of mind is Saga. I was about to the same thing. I, you know, Saga is one of those things. I, I think I read the first two trade papers. I haven't finished the up and where I haven't gotten to where it is currently. Oh, but I read Lord. the first two trades. I know. Uh, oh, it's going to break your heart in two. Um, honestly, that's part of the reason why I haven't fully committed. Is because I mean, I kinda, that's not. I have, I, I've got it. Yeah. So it's like you know, part of me feels like I'm putting the carts before the horse when I'm like comparing my first issue to Saga, and I know that's a very ridiculous thing to do. But Saga is the one that really comes to mind, where it's just like you can give it to anybody, and they'll get it. They'll really appreciate it. And like, they'll find something about it that makes them excited to read it. I think Heathen does a very si similar thing for the, the vaults Heathen. I think Heathen's, a, yeah, Heathen's a good example of that. I, I, I fell in love with Heathen in spite of myself. It was, I have a, I have a thing, right. Okay. That I've always hated. Um, it's why I've never got into Red Sonja. Um, fur bikinis or chainmail bikinis. I mean, love they, them they or are, hate them. The most ridiculous thing. Um, <laughs> so I saw, you know, I, Heathen Issue 1 arrived in my right. weekly parcel and I pulled it out and I 
oh, for God's sake, fur bikini. He's wearing a bikini the in the great, You know, the great thing about that is that it's not, it's not, uh, it's not for the male gaze. It's for the no, exactly. Yeah, I, it's... I, then I read it and it blew me away. I, I, I think Natasha Altarici's, um art style Oh yeah, is so that sort of delicate spidery line that she's got. Mm -hmm. uh, I really hope she gets her hands fixed soon because I, I want to see more of it. I mean, partly because I, mean, I really want to get her hands fixed soon. But for I'd, sure. I'd love to see more of her art because it's- Natasha, yeah, Natasha's such a wonderful person. We, uh, we got a chance to hang out with her. I want to say, I want to say it was in 2019, actually. It was right before we came to the UK for Thought Bubble. Mm -hmm. And Natasha was uh, in town for a comic convention here in Columbus called Cartoon Crossroads. And she's so nice. She's so wonderful. She's so creative. I, 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 I'm, I was really blown away by her ability to create a story from top to bottom by herself. Mm. That is heathen. And I think that's like, it's it's mind blowing to have that much talent. Yeah, and it's because I only have one part of it. <laughs> I don't have any part. Of it, so, <laughs> but no, yeah, Heathen is it is such a beautiful story. Uh, it's so yeah. beautifully told. And uh, Vault does that. Vault does a really good job. I think that's the one cool thing about Vault and working with Vault. You know, for many reasons, I I I, I like them a lot, but they really. I've got a book coming out in 2022 called Bonding with them. It's a graphic novel and um, I'm doing it with Emily Pearson. And the thing that they really know how to do is they know when to crank up the genre and they know when to crank up the, the literary academia, the smarty pants stuff. And Adrian is, I mean, that's, that's all Adrian. Adrian, the editor, he just, he understands the art of telling a story to a really fundamental degree that, you know, you can trust him to tell you whether or not you can break a rule. And that's mm -hmm. really fun because, you know, as a writer, you're, you're so often going up against the, the enormous megalith that is a narrative and however many ways you can do a story. And when you have someone like Adrian who says, here's the context for this kind of story, you can break it these kinds of ways, here's things that cannot be touched because it would mess with the foundation of the narrative. And Adrian's that guy, he just understands, he understands the pillars of the narrative and he knows when it's a load bearing wall or you know, he knows when you can knock it down. Mm -hmm. And that's so fun. That's really the, the most fun thing. And he's done that. He's helped us with Witchblood on that. He really helped me with bonding, um, writing that. And it, it's, it just allows for really dynamic, surprising stories. And I think, uh, I think he would agree with that. It's, it's all about surprising the reader in, in ways they don't expect. Yeah, I, I would certainly agree. That's something that Vault does extremely well. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've seen a book from Vault yet that I haven't liked. Yeah. I mean, they all they all deliver something. I mean, whether it's the narrative, whether that's the art or whether it's the whole package, it's like there's there's kind of something in it for everyone. If you're drawn to the cover, like and I think that's the great thing is like they do such a good job with their cover design. And like Tim Daniels is an absolutely incredible designer. I, I, I think the uh, a large portion of the way the book looks is in part from Tim kind of uh, again understanding Lisa and I's aesthetic and, and what we wanted and 
and really elevating that. He did the logo, he did all of the interior cover design and stuff and all of that just helps add to the vibe of the whole book. Mm. Yeah, I, I think I, I would have to agree. Um, not least because who the hell am I to disagree? Not very <laughs> uh, so you mentioned bonding. Uh, is that the next yeah. thing from you? No, the next thing coming from me is called Good Luck. And that's mm. out from Boom. That's going to be a Boom Studios release in June. That's when the number one comes out. And that, uh, that I'm really excited about that story. Um, I've worked with Boom a couple times in the past. I did a Power Rangers graphic novel for them and a Dark Crystal story. And this is my first original story for Boom. And so, you know, there's, because I have depression and anxiety, it means I put a lot of pressure on myself to make sure this is literally the greatest thing that has ever happened in the world. So a uh, little bit of anxiety there, but I'm really excited about it. It's, um, it's a, it's a sci-fi action adventure story about the four unluckiest kids on the planet in a world where luck exists. It's, 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 it's real. You can, mm -hmm. you can quantify it. It's like, you know, particles of oxygen. You can, you can see how many you've got. And uh, that's the story. It's about these four kids and they're very unlucky and the world wants them to suffer. And that's, <laughs> that's it. And they, they, and then, and then they go through their adventure and I'm really excited for people to get into that. But um, I'm working with that with, on that with uh, Stefano Simeon who did the Mega Man series for Boom last year. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. That, and, and that's just, his work is absolutely gorgeous. He's an Italian illustrator and, and cartoonist and, um, absolutely honored to get to work with him he's he, he's one of the creators on the book so he's like respond he's doing the design he's really like putting his stamp of uh personality on this which i absolutely love that's my favorite part when and working on a comic book is working with an artist who when they read your script or when they read the idea immediately have their own vision they immediately want they immediately see something that they they want they want to do with it and um that's the best part. It's all because I've inspired them to kind of do something and put their own language, their visual language on it. And then it becomes something completely new. It's like, it's so exciting to read it when I get it back and they're like, oh, this is like nothing I've ever seen before. Or like, this is completely different than what I had ever imagined. And that's literally the most fun uh, working in comics. And good luck has been that the entire way through. Every time I get a new page back, it's like, what the? It's so crazy to look at. Um, but that's coming out in June. Um, and then bonding, bonding I've been working on for, bonding's been in the, been in the pipeline for a bit. I, th I, I think that has been, so I actually got that with Vault before Witchblood, but because of the production timeline differences and how long it creates to make, or how long it takes to make a comic book versus a graphic novel, mm -hmm. Witchblood was the one to come out first. But bonding, I think, is slated for 2022-ish. And um, I'm really excited about that one, too. I think Emily, you know, people are very familiar with her work. She's absolutely incredible. She did Submerge, or not Submerge. She did um, The Wilds with Vita. She did mm -hmm. The Vein with Elliot Rahal for uh, Oni. She's got a very popular uh, 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 webcomic called, I think, White Tiger. And... I was honored that she decided to, and we, we really kind of did a new style uh, for this book. 
Um, I think this is the first time she'd worked in a, like a really cartoony, fun, not necessarily fun. That's, that's putting a lot on her work's very fun, but it's, it's, it's a little bit cartoonier than I would say something like the wilds. And that's really exciting. I, 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 I don't know. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff happening and, and bonding is one of the weirder ones that's coming up. So um, for those that aren't, it's, it's a sci-fi romance story about people falling in love in a world that has been taken over by alien slugs that live on your chest. Okay. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> um, but I wrote, it's, there's a whole book of it. So, uh, you know, it's at least possible to write a book about that. I am living proof, so. That sounds, it's, this is a weird response, but it sounds great. I, um, I, you know, I've gotten that response a lot from people. That literal response was like, wasn't expecting to say this, but that sounds cool as hell. Yeah, um, I will be keeping an eye out for it. Um, uh, with Vault's, Vault's marketing machine, I, I'm sure everyone will know when it uh, is ready to be bought. One of the things, that, one of the other things I like about Vault is they're very good at publicity. In yeah. a, in a, in a not particularly in your face kind of way. They, they just let you know that this stuff's coming and that it's good. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm really, I'm really grateful. They've, they've, they've really pulled out all the stops for Witchblood too. Well, they're doing some giveaways and they're doing some cool stuff on social media, but just the retailer response has been really great and. I think the thing that I like is stuff like this, where I get to, you know, put a face to a place and, uh, you know, know that next time I come into Harrogate, I've, I've got you to look forward to. I, I shoot the shit with you and, and say hi. And, you know, I, I, I think this is honestly the best part about being a, a writer or an illustrator in the industry is, is just getting to meet new people and share your stories and, and, and kind of be a part of the, the lifeblood of the industry uh it's changing a lot in so many ways it's 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 it you know part of it's very scary part of it's very exciting but i like being a i like being on the ride so um yeah it's it's yeah, it's, it's a, a privilege i'm going to leave that interview just there i did tell you how enthusiastic he was and once again I have to seriously endorse Witchblood. Uh, we do still have copies in stock. Uh, issue 2 is out towards the end of this month, I think. Um, if you want to jump on board, info at destinationvenus.co.uk. First come, first served. If we've sold out before you get to us, we'll try and get some more copies in. But, you know, it pays to be quick. Okay, now... As I said in the final edition of the Geeks at the Gates, we're going to have you know, some little features, some little segments. Uh, I'm always going to try and have an interview of some kind so that you don't just have to listen to me. Uh, but one of the things that I don't think we did enough with the Geeks at the Gates was talk about comics. So that's what we're going to do now. This I haven't done a jingle for it yet. I, I'm probably going to make one up over the, over the next week or so. Um, but... We're going to have a section every week where we focus on one or possibly two um, titles that are coming out in the week of broadcast. So um, here are this week's Comics of the Week. 
Incidentally, I probably should mention at this point that this segment is the reason why I changed my mind about what day of the week Geeking with Destination Venus was going to be coming out. I did initially say it was going to be weekly on a Monday, and then I realised that I'm an idiot. If I make it a Wednesday, I can make my Comics of the Week comics that are actually out on the day the podcast drops, which sort of makes more sense. I get them on a Tuesday, which means I can read them on a Tuesday evening, and I can then tell you about them in the podcast on the Wednesday. I don't know why that didn't occur to me in the first place, but it didn't. Um, I am a bit of an idiot, as long-time listeners to Geeks at the Gates will probably recall. Anyway, our first of our Comics of the Week is gonna be The Many Deaths of Layla Star. Issue 1 is out today, as this podcast drops. It was out on the 21st of April, if you don't listen to this on the day it drops. Uh, And it is gorgeous. I actually got a a, a PDF uh, preview copy, because some publishers really like to send me things like that. Um, If you're a publisher and you'd like to send me things like that, info at destinationvenus.co.uk or um, at destinationven1 on Twitter. Uh, Either works. This is beautifully drawn, sumptuously coloured series. I guess if you were fans of The Dreaming or The Wicked and Divine, um, this might be your sort of thing, although I think it's it's less arch than The Wicked and the Divine, and less gamony is the best way I can put it, than The Dreaming. It's from the mind of the outrageously talented Ram V, uh, who you may remember for his work on These Savage Shores, which is perhaps the best vampire comic I've ever read, and I've read lots of them. The art is provided by and. Um, my apologies, I'm going to pronounce this incorrectly. I've only ever seen it written down. I'm going to go with Felipe Andrade and what they call colour assists. I'm not quite sure what that means. Uh, from, uh, and again, my apologies for my pronunciation, only ever seen it written down. Ines Amaro. I'm going to go with that. I'm so British with my pronunci- pronunciations and stuff. I'm so sorry. Uh, but what it is. We join the action, and this isn't a spoiler because it's actually in the, um, the, the, the description in previews. We join the action just as mankind is on the brink of discovering immortality. Because of that, the Avatar of Death finds that she is out of a job. And um, she's rather unceremoniously cast down to Earth to live out what remains of her now finite life. Um, amongst the mortals in the mortal realm. And to do this, she occupies the body of a sort of Mumbai socialite called Layla Star. And so the adventure begins. It's a weird kind of supernatural... Um, I almost want to say soapy, because there's... There's, you know, the, the way the, the gods react, interact with each other it, it is is kind of does have that kind of soap opera kitchen sink vibe to it. It's magical realism, but I, I would put the emphasis on realism. I really would. Um, I, I I found myself relating to the characters and kind of understanding where they're coming from a little bit. It's 
as all Ramsey's writing is, it's a very plausible script. Extraordinary things happen, yes, but you can believe the way people react to them, which is something I've always liked in fantasy and magical realism. And it's a world that I don't quite recognise because I've never been to Mumbai, but it's still a recognisable place. I, I sort of get the I don't know how well Ram V, um, who is of Indian heritage, I think, um, I don't know how well he knows Mumbai, um, or how well the artist knows Mumbai, but I get the sense that if I did know Mumbai, I would recognise it from this comic. It feels real. And so it's interesting to see a non-Western mythology being used to tell a story like this. Now, we've seen with, well, with the Dreaming, for instance, um, we've seen a sort of Greco-Roman, Judeo-Christian kind of theologies and mythologies being repurposed in in you know the realm of the Sandman and, and stuff like that. We've had a female avatar of death before, as in Death of the Endless. But this is different from that. This is looking at the world through a different cultural lens. And I honestly th think we need more of that because it's fascinating to see the world through such different eyes than the ones I normally get to look through. So, all things considered, it's an absolute banger of a book. Honestly, I they have all knocked it out of the park. I think I'm going to give, and this is unusual for me, I think I'm going to give a special extra loud shout out to the art from Felipe Andrade, whose work I'm not that familiar with. They've they've done some work on Captain Marvel, I think, before. Um, but it's it's an extraordinary style. It it's it's not even attempting photorealism. It's it's quite an angular style. It, it and it, it just adds just a, another touch of unreality to the whole thing uh, and when you throw in the colours it's just an, it's an extraordinary palette it's not bright in the way that say Witchblood is but it's also not muted and my limited abilities to describe art is now pretty much pushing at its very envelope um, it, it's just a beautiful thing to behold. It looks amazing. And I can't recommend it highly enough. Uh, so that is The Many Deaths of Layla Star, issue one, out 21st of April, which is today, if you're listening when the podcast drops. And um, yeah, you want to you begin it? No. I was sort of trying to, to, to just have one comic of the week on the podcast every week. Uh, what can I tell you? I can't help myself because there's another comic that I've been waiting for for some time now, which also drops today, 21st of April, and I've got to talk about it. It's called Home, and it's a remarkable concept, drawing on, it's sort of a superhero book, but it draws on one of the most fundamental tropes 
in the whole of superhero mythology. Uh, and that's the superhero as refugee. The very first real superhero, Superman, was a refugee. I think people forget that a lot. And of course, the thing about refugees is that they've always been political. They downplay that in Superman. Um, Siegel and Schuster didn't make a big deal out of that. Uh, but obviously the Jewish background um, of the creators working as they were in the late 1930s, um, it, it must have occurred to them. And Home is a story that I think takes the politicisation of the refugee head on. Uh, we've got a young boy crossing the Mexico-US border with his mother. Uh, they are separated. Uh, um, the, the previous blurb is a little bit more emotive than that. Uh, the previous blurb says that they are snatched away from each other. Torn away, I think is the word they actually use. Um, and the trauma of that event begins to change something in him. It's the onset of superhuman abilities. And that's a fascinating idea. The idea that being separated from your family at the border as a refugee could be the origin story of superpowers. When we, when we think of the very real traumas that happen on borders, not just at the US, but on many borders, as family members are separated, it's a brave idea. It's a, it's a brave concept. It could go wrong in so many ways. It's by uh, Julio Anta and uh, Anna Weisjek. Weisjek? Again, apologies for my pronunciation. I'm assuming that's a Polish last name. Um, so I think it would be Weisjek. But I'm happy to stand corrected. Um, it's a five-issue series. Um, and it, it looks at the real-world implications of an asylum seeker with superpowers. Because just what would you do? The possibilities are so huge. Um, I'm fascinated to see where the story goes. I really, really am. Uh, so that is our second comic of the week for this week. Uh, kind of a double header. And again, if that sounds like your cup of tea, check out your local comic shop. Uh, if you don't have a local comic shop, or if we are it, info at destinationvenus.co.uk. Um, give us a shout, let us know you're interested in it, we will put it on one side for you. And uh, here endeth Comics of the Week. Um, okay, so we've got one more segment and two more things to get through before the end of the show. First up, before we go into the final science segment, just a very quick, have you seen the trailer for Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings? I mean, if you haven't, if you haven't, do yourself a favour, go to the show notes uh, over at info at destinationvenus.co.uk and check out uh, the link there. Or just go to YouTube, or just Google it. 
it is a fine looking thing. I am still waiting for the MCU to drop the ball in some way. I mean, I guess we'll always have Iron Man 3 and we'll always have the Incredible Hulk, but even they were not objectively awful. And there's been so much great stuff. I mean, okay, yes, not all of it's been equally good, but to have maintained such a high level of quality for so long is an achievement. I'm seriously impressed. And as I say, Shang-Chi looks incredible. So do yourself a favour and go and check that out. And now, I've lost the jingle for this segment. I made it and everything, and now I can't find it. So for one week only, I'll do it myself. Science! If you've been watching the news, you will probably have seen Ingenuity. I'm not talking about the late 90s Ultravox album, uh, I, which featured only Billy Curry from the original lineup. Um, I am talking about the helicopter on Mars. Before you get all nerdy on me, yes, I know, it's technically not a helicopter, but it's a rotorcraft, and you know what? However much I care about language, I'm not going to be that pernickety. It looks like a helicopter. It flies like a helicopter. It's a helicopter. I was amused by somebody on, I think it was Twitter, who observed that it is the most American thing ever to send a nuclear-powered aircraft carrier to an alien planet, um, which is effectively what they've done, because obviously Perseverance is the current NASA Mars rover, which is carrying this little tiny um, rotorcraft ingenuity. Uh, and Perseverance is nuclear-powered, so given that it's carrying an aircraft, it is technically an aircraft carrier. So yes, NASA have sent a nuclear-powered aircraft carrier to Mars. And Ingenuity, the little aircraft, is now flying. It's not flown far, but it's proved that it can. And that is a huge achievement. You have to understand, the atmosphere of Mars is very, very thin. There is not a lot for the rotor blades to bite on. So although NASA had done tests in an atmosphere of the same density as the atmosphere you find on Mars. It wasn't a foregone conclusion that this would work. Now we know it does. The possibilities it opens up for Mars exploration are huge. Rovers are great, but there's only so much ground they can cover. Satellites are great, there's only so much resolution they can map with. If we can get drones on Mars, they can explore so much more territory, they can cover so much more ground in so much more detail than anything with, that we've currently got can do. And that is both amazing and great. And it's so gr great to see a science story that is A, really positive, and B, nothing to do with viruses. And there might be one or two of you sitting, thinking, mm, but really, we're spending all of that money 
and there's so many things we need to tackle here on Earth, and I hear you. But the exploration of the solar system is so tremendously important on a couple of levels. One, as a species, that's who we are. We started in Africa somewhere, probably the Rift Valley, as at least that's the last thing I read. And we didn't stay there. We went and explored. We reached all points in Africa, and then we moved out of Africa into Arabia, and well, what we now call Arabia, what we now call Europe, into Asia, across the land bridge, across the Bering Straits, into the Americas, across the oceans, to the Pacific Islands, and to Australia, and to New Zealand, and that is what made us human. And so, of course, we must explore. Far more prosaically than that, asteroids are the universe's way of saying, how's that space program coming along? As a species, we are under existential threat. We don't know when the next planet-killing asteroid will come whizzing past. But it's a fair bet that there's going to be one. We haven't found every object in the solar system yet. And asteroids are notoriously difficult to spot. So, having some humans on Mars at some point, having some humans on the Moon at some point, probably a good idea. But we must explore these places first with robots that we can sterilise. Because uh, if the last 18 months has told us anything, humans are unsanitary creatures and we carry germs. And we need to be clear that there is no indigenous life, even if it's only microbial on Mars before we can send people because you cannot fully sanitize a human and we will take microbes and bugs and stuff with us when we go so we have to send the robots first it's really important <sighs> it's also unbelievably cool there is a planet in the solar system entirely populated by robots that's just cool <sighs> so that is us for this week. We hope you enjoyed the inaugural Geeking with Destination Venus. If you did, you might want to leave a review wherever you found this podcast. And um, you might want to tell some people. And if you didn't, tell us and tell us why so that we can make it better. If you want to get in touch, we are available on Facebook, uh, where we are at Destination Venus. Uh, we are available on Twitter, where we are, at DestinationVen1. That's the figure one, not the word one. Um, and we are available by email, info at destinationvenus.co.uk, or you can contact us through our website, www.destinationvenus.co.uk. Or, if all of that fails, um, you could use smoke signals or something. Um Show notes are available over at www.destinationvenus.co.uk. Click the blog button on the top of the home screen and uh, then just look for Geeking with Destination Venus, uh, the Matthew Ehrman interview, which is the title of this particular show. Um, it'll also be logged as episode one. So check out all of that. If you are in the Harrogate area, some of you have been asking, 
Uh, Destination Venus remains closed. Um, Non-essential shops, like ourselves, are out of lockdown now. But indoor hospitality, like the cinema that we live inside, are not out of lockdown yet. We can't open until they are out of lockdown. Um, so the Everyman Cinema Harrogate, the finest cinema in town, um, will be reopening, all things being equal, on May the 17th. So will we. In the meantime, we are continuing to deliver within Harrogate and Nairsborough. Uh, so, you know, if there's something you want, give us a shout. Or, if you can't wait that long to browse your comics. I don't have the rack there, but over in the building that would be housing the Geek Bar, if the Geek Bar were allowed to open, the Geek Bar has popped up the Geek Shop. Obviously, the Geek Bar's always had a retail side. They can't open as a bar yet. Uh, but they have opened their retail side, and they've very kindly invited uh, both ourselves and a couple of other local uh, sort of geek businesses uh, to put some stock in there as well. So if you want to see some graphic novels and have a little browse through, uh, go down to the Geek Shop, formerly known as the Geek Bar, uh, and check that out. If you are not listening inside Harrogate Nesborough, you can't do that, probably. It's probably not a good idea to travel across the country, or, or indeed across the world, right now. So please, don't do that. But do check us out online. Info at destinationvenus.co.uk And that really is it. Until next week, we will say goodbye. Um, stay safe. Stay geeky. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to everybody else. Until the next time, we go geeking.